Coming up next, the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-34. Heaven and earth witness together, and as we know, Yeshua says, on earth as it is in heaven. So what we do on earth, what we eat on earth, should be a metaphorical representation. It should be reflecting a truth that we are already eating in heaven. Hello there, this is Avi Ben Mordechai once again with yet another ongoing podcast of Real Israel Talk Radio. And on today's program, we are going to continue our discussion where we left off on the last program, dealing with a series of podcasts addressing the issue of the biblical kosher eating and dietary laws and a good foundation as to why we think it is still valid for today, even if you are a New Covenant, New Testament believer in Yeshua. We're going to ask the question, is everything that we eat food? And we're going to also discuss the issue, what is food? Well, according to the biblical teachings and narratives of the Bible, Biblical eating is not a Jewish thing. It's actually a thing that Yeshua taught. And uh, this is part three of our multi-part program, dealing with all of these interesting ideas and uh, the topic of our discussion, why I exchanged salami for pastrami. Chatting with me on this subject again is my wife, Suzanne. Hi, Avi. Nice to be here. Hi, everyone. This is winter still here in Western Australia, but we had some beautiful sunny weather. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, distinctions today. And uh, distinctions are a very important element of uh, the Hebrew concept of choice. Without distinctions, there are no choices. Uh, so I want to come over to Genesis 2.9, where we learn the following. And out of the ground, Yehovah Elohim made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that is the Yetzadat Tov Vera. And uh, also in verse 17, that is Genesis 2, 17, we learn the uh, command from the Almighty Creator when he said to Adam, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you will not eat. For in the day that you eat of him, not it, him, you will surely die. Which, when you're reading it in Hebrew, it will better be translated as, In dying, you will die. So we have two deaths represented here. We have the first death, which is physical. No one gets out of that one. And we have the second death, which is the one that we do have a choice where we don't have to go through that one if we so choose not to. So 
these are the two deaths, and uh, that's what distinction is all about. That is true. I suppose it's like two buckets of paint. If I have a bucket of white paint in one hand and black paint in another hand, and I mix those two into gray, mm -hmm. there's only one choice, gray. And that's what the tree of mixture, or the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or let's call it the tree of mixture. Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. basically what it represents, right? Good and evil are mixed, and they have lost their godly distinction. And it's mixed in us that way when we come into this world. Some of us might have a little less black in their bucket than our others do, mm -hmm. due to effort over the years. But ultimately, we're all shades of gray. I was thinking how lack of choice actually aligns with our concept of slavery, right? Mm -hmm. And how slavery can happen in one of two ways. We were talking last time about there were presented to us two choices in the garden, life or death, right? Mm -hmm. When we only have one choice, that becomes a form of slavery. So how do two choices become one? As I have been thinking it through, I could think of two ways. One of these... We make a choice, right? So example of a good choice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If I choose to follow God, I choose the tree of life instead of the tree of mixture. Mm -hmm. I have made my choice. I have chosen life instead of death. And I choose to forsake all other gods. And therefore, in effect, I have become a slave to the Creator and the God of the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. And we see Paul even referring to that concept. He calls himself a bond slave of Messiah. Mm -hmm. This kind of slavery is a willing slavery, not an unwilling capture or a kidnapping that we see God clearly in the Torah that is prohibited and punishable by death. Mm -hmm. So this is an example of a willing slavery or a willing bond servant. Well, the, the idea, though, that I think we're trying to get at here is that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, it is not just one or the other in the sense of that's good and that's evil. It's more like that is a unit, a mixture of the two blended together so that you really cannot tell exactly what is the good and what is the evil. In other words, it's so mixed together. How do you know what is what? Yeah, and that mixture comes in different amounts of gray or white, and we each mix it according to our own understanding, how we view what is black and what is white, what is good or what is evil. And we mm. mix it according to our own understanding from God's perspective, even though we think we might be clear God looks at it and he sees a mixture of black and white. He sees gray. We can turn to Judges 17.6. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Yeah, I think we can link it up with the wording in Genesis. And their eyes were opened. So what does that mean? I see something a certain way. Where God says, I want you to not lean on your own understanding. Mm -hmm. I want you to trust me and follow my understanding. Follow the king. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Don't make up your own mixture of black and white and mix your own paint and your own understanding and walk that out. So this is going to lead us to an understanding of why we're even talking about 
what is clean or unclean, kosher or not kosher. When you look in again, another place, Judges 21, 24 through 25. In those days, repeating the concept that we just read, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We can tie that in with the concept of a king who has to write himself a Torah scroll Mm. as Moses was told to tell B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, based on what the Almighty told him. Write the Torah scroll for yourself as a king and you will rule the nation by that. So if there's no king... That means there's no Torah scroll. That means there's no divine law guiding them. Therefore, every man is doing which is right in his own eyes means it is without any intervention of teaching law from the Torah. Yes, and interesting, it can seem that when we said there were really only two choices, it seems that we're represented with a third choice here. It's either the word of life from the tree of life or the word of death from the tree of mixture or the word of our own understanding, as if there is a third option, Mm -hmm. my way, the enemy's way or God's way. But there aren't really three because we have in scripture that the moment they ate from the tree of mixture, their eyes were opened. So seeing things their way comes from the same tree as the tree of mixture. So there's no third option added here. Mm -hmm. Those two are merged under one tree of death. So the example of a good choice is in choosing life instead of death and choosing to forsake all other gods or any of these other religious authority elements that are out there in the heavens and the earth. And therefore, in effect, we become... Bond servants to Jehovah, the Creator, and uh, that's what you were speaking about. That Paul called himself a bond servant of Messiah, and uh, it's this kind of slavery, which is a willing servitude and not an unwilling servitude, as though Jehovah were like kidnapping us or capturing us. He's not doing that. He's setting us free so that we will listen to him and obey what he has said for us. Yes. So what we learned here is how do we find ourselves enslaved? How do we find ourselves without choice? And one of those ways would be to make a choice, right? If Mm -hmm. we make a choice, and here we use an example of a good choice that leads to life, we've become slaves, willing slaves to that choice we made. Obviously, there's the alternative of making a bad choice. Um, If we stick to our example, making a choice from the tree of mixture, and then we become enslaved to sin and death. But another way would be when God removes one choice. And uh, I'm sure you can think of many others, but one very clear one for me is the example of how we get our connection back to the garden restored after Adam and Eve were kicked out. Mm -hmm. Um, We hear from Yeshua, there he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to life. There is no other name by which we are saved. So though we have the choice here, right? We choose, the way is commanded, 
There is no choice in how to get back to God, mm -hmm. according to him anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but once he shows us this is the one way back, we can still choose our response to that, whether we want to walk in that way or not. He removed any other choices of how to get back to the God. And he says, this is the way I have decreed. And by his divine authority, he has removed any other choices. But another example of this, when he will cast death into the lake of fire, mm -hmm. right? Thereafter, there will be no more choice. Only one of those realities, uh, life or death, will mm -hmm. remain. Mm -hmm. And those who have chosen in this world will end up with the choice that they've made. If you want to, we can discuss a bit about Matthew 15, verse 13. Yeshua says, Every planted thing, right? which my heavenly Father has not planted, shall be uprooted. And in the end of Revelation, where we read about the new heaven and the new earth, the tree of life, smack bang in the middle, exactly like in the Genesis narrative. But there is no mention there that I can see of the tree of mixture. So if it's gone, which it seems it is, then according to what Yeshua says, his Father must have uprooted it, right? And if he says, uh, every plant that my father will uproot is one that he didn't plant. So mm. that leaves me to suggest that it wasn't his father who planted this tree of mixture. If he's going to end up uprooting it, mm -hmm. and then we will only have one choice, that means he has removed one choice by casting death into the lake of fire. Mm. And he uprooted a tree that he didn't plant. It seems that we have Yeshua hinting at that in his parable. Matthew 13 from verse 24. Another parable Yeshua put forth to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner had come and said to him, Sir, do, did you not sow good seed in your field? How does it now have tares? He says, An enemy has done this. And the servant said to him, Well, do you want us to go and gather them up? And he says, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. So he says, let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first, gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. Then he says, gather the wheat into my barn. It's interesting because when you read Genesis 2 verse 9, it seems in English to clearly say out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight mm. and good for food. Mm -hmm. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden mm -hmm. and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Mm -hmm. So it seems from a English reading that, as I've always understood it, God planted all the trees and then he planted those two trees in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But since we've been looking at it together in Hebrew, do you want to share how there's definitely a different way to interpret that without doing mental gymnastics with the Hebrew there? Well, I don't want to do any mental gymnastics. I hardly like gymnastics to begin with. <laughs> no, but uh, when we're reading in Genesis 2.9, 
about, you know, these two trees in the garden. Although the literal English translation uh, says in the middle of the garden, ve'etz hida'ato vera. There's a vav before the word etz, meaning there is a vav before the word tree. Then and that vav is typically translated as and, right? Yeah. In other words, as though the text were telling us that he planted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil there along with the tree of life. But in Hebrew, a vav can do the work of the word but, or so, or then, or with, or when, or who, or that, or on the contrary. The Vav can carry those additional meanings, not just the wooden translation of the word and. Um, there is enough in there for me to say that it definitely suggests that as an option to consider. This Vav can also carry the idea of uh, what one scholar, uh, David Biven in Jerusalem, who used to um, put out the Jerusalem perspective, that the Vav can also be what is called a Vav of purpose, meaning it can identify a motive or a reason why something is being done. The bottom line is that it's not just and, which is connecting two separate clauses, but also the idea of but, as though it were a contrast to something else. Like but also. Yeah. So you could say, but, or on the contrary, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm, but also the tree of knowledge of good and evil grew there without stating specifically who planted it. That's correct, as to where it came from. Mm. So this is really important, and uh, we are not the only ones in the entire universe that uh, have come to understand that idea. What we do know is the tree of mixture. Mm -hmm. We don't see that in the book of Revelation. It mm -hmm. seems it's not there. Eventually it's uprooted, and there is only one more choice left, which is life. No more tears, no more pain, no more death. So where we're going with all of this to sort of summarize is we were talking about choice. For choice, we need distinction, mm -hmm. meaning clear boundaries between the choices we have. And then when we don't have that, that it's a form of slavery. And this slavery comes either by our own choice being exercised, whether it's good or a bad choice. We make a choice and therefore we get mm -hmm. enslaved to mm -hmm. either of our choices. And then we mentioned option B is we are not enslaved by our own choice, but we are enslaved by a choice that, for instance, God makes by here removing one of our choices towards the end of time. Mm -hmm. And then we have another way, and that is where the enemy himself removes one of these choices. Mm -hmm. And he does that with a nice sleight of hand trick, mm -hmm. like he did when he spoke to Eve in the garden. Did God really say? And he said, you will surely not die, implying this tree that God says will lead to death. He's saying it won't. This is just another variation under your only choice, which is life. Mm -hmm. All of these trees lead to life. Mm -hmm. So if we believe that 
then he has removed one of our choices. Where, where are we going with all of this, right? We're going to end up with talking about food choices. Mm-hmm. But the important thing here is that our choices mean something. And even the way I thought before that food choices, what does God care? He does because it all paints a picture of a much more important concept. And that is there are two choices and we need to understand there are these two choices. And the moment we have the same doctrine that the serpent initially gave, said you won't die. It doesn't really matter. Did God really say? What he does is with sleight of hand deception, he offers you his fruit as just another variety under the tree of life. Mm. And that is not the truth. This is a, a perfect lead-in, really, to the idea of distinctions. And uh, what is the first distinction that shows up in the Bible? The very first one. It's going to be in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. And this says, V'ha'aretz ha'ita tohu Vevohu, which is often translated as the earth was without form and void. The Hebrew text is going to be much more accurate, much more precise. It's not merely, oh, the earth was without form and void, but rather everything in this new creation of Genesis 1-2 is what is called sameness Mm. or uniformity. It's not that God wants uniformity. He wants unity. He doesn't want everything being the same. We learn that from the Tohu Vavohu teaching of Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. Everything is the same according to Tohu Vavohu in the Hebrew. Mm. It's like there's no new information. There's no variety. Right, but there's no variety. But it's like, picture yourself on a beach, and you're looking out over an ocean like we have near us. And you look out over a vast ocean where there's no wind, no waves. It's just ocean. It all looks exactly the same. There's no new information. We don't see any boats. We don't see clouds. You see nothing. It's just ocean, flat ocean. That is the idea. No new information to make a distinction. That is the concept of tohu vavohu. That's purely the concept in Hebrew. So is it chaotic? Well, I guess it depends on how you're going to define chaotic or chaos, but that would be chaotic in a sense of the word, I would think. It's like, there's no information here. There's, I'm not getting any details. There's no distinction, you know? Yeah, that fits very well with how we feel in the world today. It feels pretty chaotic when there's no clear distinction anymore of male and female. It's gender fluid, whatever that means. It's gray. Mm. There is no more distinction defining marriage. Mm. So things are getting chaotic. It's like the reverse of what God did in the creation week, Mm. where he created clear boundaries and distinction those lines are being blurred and we're moving back towards tohu vavo. We're moving back towards that chaos of everything looks the same. So mm-hmm. there really is no choice. In, any choice goes, meaning there's really no choice. So this whole idea of what we're looking at is also uh, very evident in things like uh, the Sabbath, right? Uh, the six days you work, the seventh you rest. 
clean foods versus unclean foods. Adam and Eve basically enslaved themselves to one choice, meaning death, through eating from the tree of mixture. God has set a redemption plan into motion through his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Jacob becoming the nation of Israel, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That redemption plan, why did he set that in motion? To free us so that we can again choose between life and death. He Mm. set us free Mm. through that. And that Mm. redemption plan was not only for Israel to choose, but it was so that Israel could then go and teach these distinctions to the rest of the nation so Mm. that they too could have the option to choose. All righty, we're going to take a short break and then we're going to return to continue with the biblical dietary laws. It appears to me that uh, the biblical eating idea is not coming from Judaism. It's actually coming from Yeshua, from the lawgiver. And we're going to continue with the topic, Why I Exchanged My Salami for Pastrami, chatting with my wife Suzanne on the subject. So stay with us and we'll come right back after the break. You are listening to Avi Ben Mordechai and the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-34. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Okay, we're back. Avi Ben Mordechai here with my wife, Suzanne. Is everything that we eat food? at least as it's defined in the Bible. Well, we have learned a few things about what food is, involving heaven's food and earth's food. And as Yeshua said in his prayer to the Father that he taught us, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, indicating that food, true food, begins in heaven And what we eat on earth is merely the metaphor to teach us about the truths of Scripture and life and truth in heaven. That eating biblically kosher is not about Judaism, it is about Yeshua. Suzanne, let's continue now where we left off. He didn't bring them the law of Moses while they were in Egypt, right? He didn't say, obey these commandments, jump through these hoops, and if you do this, you will be set free. He didn't do that. He said, if you have faith in the blood of this Passover lamb, then I will redeem you. I will buy you out of your slavery. Right? We said slavery is where you don't have choice. Mm -hmm. I will buy you out of the slavery. Then I'll bring you into the wilderness where I will speak to you. And now I will offer you choice. Now that you are free to choose... He's not stealing a bride and he's not forcing anyone into marriage with him. He's setting this maiden free so that she can choose, does she want to marry him or not? Mm. He puts before her two choices. And Mm. we read in the scriptures that Israel chose wisely. They chose to covenant with the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. 
And then through the Torah that was given out Mount Sinai, he expounds more and more on these different distinctions. And as you mentioned, there's distinctions in time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Six days you shall work, the seventh day you shall rest. Mm-hmm. There is a distinction. There is distinctions in our calendar when it comes to feast days. Mm-hmm. There is distinctions in terms of slavery. You can't keep someone enslaved for the rest of their lives. There's every seventh year and then every 50th year. Mm-hmm. There is a distinction. There's a time where that line ends and those people are set free from slavery. We have even in Job, we read about stopping the, the proud mm-hmm. waves. Mm-hmm. So there is a distinction and those boundaries that he has created. And we know where those boundaries are ignored, the destruction that a tsunami causes, where mm-hmm. those boundaries are crossed over. Even in the temple, there were boundaries between the different courts and what you did in those particular areas. The priests could mm-hmm. do these different jobs and the Levites could do those. There were war boundaries, age boundaries, clothes and gender boundaries in the law of Moses, bird boundaries, justice boundaries, yeah. uh, a treatment of slaves and how you deal with them and those boundaries. Boundaries of what you were allowed to bring as a sacrifice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All these things. And And with all these boundaries, what was God trying to teach Israel? He was saying through his word given to Moses and then through Moses delivering to the priests, Mm -hmm. they were meant to unmerge these blurred lines. Mm -hmm. So that again, like in the creation weeks where he brought distinction, Mm -hmm. here again he took this tohu vavohu, let's use the term gray that we've worked with this, Mm -hmm. he's taken Mm -hmm. that. And he says, let's bring distinction again so that I can put before you your choices. Choose life. So we have worship boundaries and distinctions. We have uh, relational and sexual boundaries. And the one that we're dealing with in this particular teaching is food boundaries. He does indeed have food boundaries. So what does the serpent do? What does that Nahash of Genesis chapter 3, what is he doing? The same trick as always. He's got this sleight of hand deception move that he does. And he says, there really is no distinction. There is no different choice. You can eat anything. All of it is clean. It doesn't matter. There won't be any death or any negative consequence to this. You have more variety. And it's interesting that from the background that I came, I actually thought if I have less variety that I equated that to bondage. If I can't eat my ham sandwich then I am in bondage. And isn't it horrifying how slavery and bondage has been redefined over the years? Nowhere do we read in the Tanakh that the Word of God or His Torah or His commandments are bondage. Nowhere do we read that. And today we seem to believe that obeying God will lead us to bondage. Hmm. It reminds me of that verse where it says that good will be called evil and evil will be called good. Isaiah 5 20 is what it is, yeah. So those definitions have been perverted, and obedience now seems like bondage. For the years that I tried to understand this, I so struggled, and to me now it is so clear. Here I'm currently an Australian citizen, right? I was South Mm -hmm. African born. Mm -hmm. I live here by invitation of Australia. My late husband was invited. If I have a visitor from South Africa, right? Mm -hmm. 
no amount of obeying Australia's laws will earn them an Australian passport. Right. They are here as visitors, they obey all the laws, and then they go home. I was granted citizenship here. And now because I am extremely thankful to be here, I'm a pretty good law-abiding citizen because I appreciate being here and I definitely don't want to lose my citizenship and be kicked out. Well, if you end up going back to South Africa, it's a, it's a terrible place. It's got a lot of crime and corruption and murder and all kinds of horrible things are going on. So you don't want to go back there. This is, a, this is heaven on earth compared to, compared to South Africa. It currently is a challenge to be in South Africa. But saying that there are some beautiful people, unfortunately, it's the minority that causes the most of the issues the majority of the people are beautiful people Mm -hmm. and they want to just go on with their normal lives but there is that rotten few who Mm -hmm. spoil it for everyone unfortunately so i would say based on the scriptures and what we're talking about here the nakash the the satan however you want to say it that what he essentially does is he merges all of the options that are available and he erases all boundaries. And by merging options and erasing boundaries... He reverses a- the distinctions that God made mm-hmm. and he just wipes them out. He undoes them in our mind's eye. We see it differently. And that way he gets us to happily eat from his tree of mixture without even knowing we're choosing death. We were created to abide in him. Yeah, he still does that to this day. Gets us to cross those boundaries Mm -hmm. by merging our options and telling us you will not die. And that his fruit that he's offering you is just another variety within the tree of life. If you think about if you wanted to kill a bird, right? You Mm -hmm. don't throw it off a cliff Mm -hmm. or if you wanted to kill a fish you don't drown a fish you don't drown a fish in the sea no that wouldn't be a wise thing if you want (laughs) to kill a fish um if it's an ocean Mm -hmm. trout Mm -hmm. sticking its head under the ocean is not gonna that wouldn't be the best way to kill it right right um what this tells me is that within god's creation everything has an environment that that it was created to abide in. Mm-hmm. Birds that were created to fly in the air, right? Mm-hmm. You can certainly kill me if you throw me off a cliff, mm-hmm. but you're not going to kill a bird by throwing it off a cliff. Okay. So birds were created to fly mm-hmm. in the heavens. Fish were created to swim in the oceans. Mm-hmm. So how do you kill people? What environment were they created to live in? And if you can figure that one out... That's pretty easy to kill them. You just take them out of their created environment. That's why I believe Adam and Eve died. They were taken out of their created environment. We were created to live in the Word of God. And we read that over and over in the Bible. And it's reflected Mm. in the New Testament where Mm. Yeshua says, Abide in me. We were created to live in the Word. We were created to live in the Word of God. That then becomes His environment. Absolutely. And if the enemy wants to kill you, he has to lure you out of your environment. So we end up being like fish that commit suicide. They jump out of the pond. Hmm. Um, I've heard that goldfish are known to do that. I've never had goldfish. 
that they find themselves jumping out of their fishbowl and then they end up dying, right? So what the enemy did is he lured us out of the environment that we were created to live in. He got us to eat from a different tree. Mm -hmm. He deceived Eve that way. Mm -hmm. Adam followed and death came to all of us. Yeshua said, if you love me, obey my commandments. So he's saying, if you want life, get back into my environment. Walk in my environment, which is the environment that you were created to live in. Yes, and our obedience doesn't bring us back into that environment. Just like Israel's obedience didn't set them free from Egypt, right? Mm -hmm. So we are brought back into our environment of His Word by the blood of the Lamb, by grace through faith. Now that He has brought us back into that environment, now He says, go and sin no more. Don't, little goldfish, jump out of the pond again. Mm -hmm. Stick to this. So if you think of a railroad track, If you are a train that got derailed, he puts us back on track. And then he says, now stay on track. We have the same example when Yeshua comes to the woman caught in adultery. He gives her grace. He sets her right by his love and his grace. And then he says, now go and sin no more. And there is a point if we willingly, continually insist to go off track and jump out of the pond again, then at some point he's going to say, you can have what you choose. I remember years ago we were camping and we had communal ablution facilities, showers and toilets, and I was lying in the bath and I caught out of the corner of my eye a moth caught in a spider web, right? And I was lying there feeling very bad for this moth. I was seeing it's dying. (laughs) But I was so comfortable in my bubble bath. I wasn't intent on getting up out of the warm, cozy water and do something about it. And I was sort of saying, oh, God, you know, this is just another moth. Am I really meant to help this insignificant little moth? And I can't help all moths getting killed by spiders all the time. But he said, you can save the one in front of you, right? So I got up out of the bath, got out, made careful not to slip on the wet tiles. And I actually took this moth and I saved it from the spider web, right? (laughs) Got back into the bath and I Mm. felt very well in this achievement that I'd done. And it was like seconds later and this moth flew right back into the web again. And it's as if at that moment I got it. I really got it that he was saying, if I have to get up out of the bath again and save the moth and I get back and he flies, eventually I'm going to say, obviously this moth is on a suicide mission. <laughs> All right? He's, and I can't work against his will. He mm. wants to die. He's like a kamikaze pilot. Uh-huh. He's got a mission. And mm. when we read in the New Testament that if we continually sin willingly, knowingly, there is no more sacrifice. So there's a point where the point where we don't repent and confess and come humbly to God anymore, he cannot be continually crucified over and over again. In other words, if we are on a suicide mission to kill ourselves off by keep going back over and over, like the the proverb says, like a dog to its vomit, okay? He's going to give you what you choose. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He says, choose life. 
and by his sacrifice he made a way for us so that life is an option for us to mm. choose mm. but we still have to choose and he will still honor our choice mm-hmm. we see that over and over in the the metaphors in the in the historical narratives in the tanakh mm. we see all of that there teaching us what happens when we persistently choose death eventually mm that first generation of Israelites that came out of Egypt, they persisted in choosing death. Mm. And eventually they got what they chose. Did God kill them? Or did he have them walk around in the wilderness until they died because they did not want to enter into the promised land? And they got what they chose. So maybe the, uh, the metaphoric lesson is don't be like that moth that was on a suicide mission to keep flying back into the spider web when salvation was so very close (laughs) (laughs) you're you're trying to save it and it says thank you very much but no thank you and flies back into the web and the spider eventually gets him and it's like well i i told you i i tried to save you but you i got pretty upset because he didn't know what discomfort it was causing me to get out of that nice warm bath (laughs) and he didn't seem to appreciate what i did and i mean that's at such a Very stupid level, right? Mm -hmm. But I I got it, is when God sends his word to become flesh, dwell amongst us, teach us his way, Mm -hmm. then die so that his life in the blood can be atonement for us. He makes a way back. Why would we then, after he makes a way back for us, why would we not be so thankful? Like, I am thankful to be here in Australia. Hmm. It's not a burden for me to obey the Australian laws. I am saying, I'm so thankful to be here. And the same thing, I am so thankful to be in the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And it is my love response to say, thank you that I am here. Hmm. My king, what would you want me to do? Hmm. And I will obey you. Mm-hmm. I think with this, um, we're coming to the end of our uh, of our program here. Let's talk about defining food. A little bit of an introduction, uh, which will then take us into our next podcast in dealing with this subject. Go ahead. Let's define food according to the dictionary, right? Should mm-hmm. we start there? Mm-hmm. Food, any substance containing nutrients such as carbohydrates, proteins, and fats that can be ingested and metabolized into energy and body tissue in order to promote growth and or to sustain life. So this definition assumes a purely physical outlook on food, right? It's a natural life, a singular physical life. But now I think what we should do is let's compare that to scripture and see what God has to say about that particular definition. This was a particularly interesting area for me to find out. If we read from Genesis 2 verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So I want you to remember this word life. And man became a living being. Then in Genesis 25, verse 7, this is the sum of the years of Abraham's life. Again, remember the word life, which he lived 175 years. So where we found in the dictionary, life was defined as this singular, purely physical, natural life. Mm -hmm. What is amazing is that in the Hebrew, where we had the word life in Genesis 2 verse 7 and again Abraham's life in Genesis 25 verse 7 
In the Hebrew, those words are not singular. They're actually plural terms, not singular terms, yeah. So they should say, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of lives, plural. Mm-hmm. And the sum of the years of Abraham's lives, plural, which he lived, 175 years. Mm-hmm. Wow, that mm-hmm. makes such a huge difference mm-hmm. to my understanding of what God means with life. He doesn't mean a purely dictionary, singularly physical life. He means lives, two earthly natural life and a heavenly spiritual life. Mm. And Genesis 2.16, if we read there, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of mixture, for in that you shall not eat, for in that day you shall surely die. So what do we see here? Freely eat, right? And then at the end, if you eat from the wrong tree, you will surely die. Again, in Hebrew, Avi, you've mentioned the surely die actually mentions die twice, right? Mm -hmm. In dying, you will die. First death and a second death. The freely eat also has two mentions of eat. So if we had to translate it from the Hebrew, just in the plain context of the verse, we would have to say, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, there will be two eats. In eating, you will eat. And then if you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, there's two deaths. In dying, you will die. What did we learn here from Hebrew? Hmm. That there's two lives, two eats, Mm -hmm. and two deaths, right? So food is not only physical, as our dictionary teaches us, but natural and spiritual on earth as in heaven. The scripture is teaching us here that in eating, you will eat. You have two lives to feed. That tells me that physical food then must remain as a metaphor to teach us about something else that we cannot see in the spiritual realm. That feeds your spirit, man, absolutely. And that heaven and earth witness together. And as we know, Yeshua says, on earth as it is in heaven. So what we do on earth, what we eat on earth, should be a metaphorical representation. It should be reflecting a truth that we are already eating in heaven. Hmm. Like my wedding ring that I'm wearing. Mm -hmm. There's no point in wearing a natural earthly metaphor, my ring, if you and I are not married in heaven. Mm -hmm. So we get married in heaven first, then you put the ring on my finger to say now on earth it reflects and it witnesses with what is already true in heaven. Mm. So in the same way, there are two different kinds of food that we feed two different kinds of lives in order to not have one of the two different kinds of deaths. So this doubling idea, it shows up, of course, in other places of the Bible, such as uh, heaven and also Jerusalem. These uh, two ideas are both plurals in uh, the Hebrew text. Jerusalem above, Jerusalem below. And heaven above and heaven below, separated by the uh, this rakia, or this firmament, as it's mentioned in Genesis chapter 1. So that was a beautiful layer opening up for me just from the Hebrew to see that God has commanded us how to feed mm-hmm. lives 
not just our single natural life, but mm-hmm. our plural lives. And that's how we feed these two lives should be witnessing together. So on earth as it is in heaven, that's part of Yeshua's uh, uh, prayer to the Father that he taught us. He said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So heaven and earth should witness together, and we are going to see how God commanded man to feed these lives. So when we come back on our next show, Suzanne, I would very much like to take a look at it from this point forward and talk about how God has commanded us to feed these two lives in us. As uh, you and I have been kind of going at it here with these uh, ideas involving the topic, why I exchanged my salami for pastrami. Salami being traditionally a pork product and pastrami being traditionally a beef product, even a lamb product. I've seen some of it even with lamb, believe it or not, but uh, that's another topic. I'm looking forward to it, Avi. I hope you guys join us again. And it seems like we're taking quite a while to get there, and we are, I know we are, but... For me, this is how I work towards a much deeper spiritual understanding of why I'm exchanging my salami for pastrami. And to me, it is now a love response and a witness to a deeply spiritual thing. Without that, it just didn't work with my soul. It is This truth has beautifully fed mm-hmm. my spirit to an extent that now I wanted on earth to witness the same thing. Mm. So we're building up towards something here. So hope you join us next time. Thanks so much, Suzanne, for joining us today on Real Israel Talk Radio. My pleasure. Have a very blessed week, everyone out there. I hope you tune in next time. We shall continue where we left off on the next program when we come back and we'll candidly chat about the issues of what is considered food in the biblical teachings in the Bible and in all these interesting narratives of Scripture and why we should in fact be observing the biblical dietary laws. And it is not so that the almighty, eternal Yehovah can make all of us totally miserable in our lives. It's to set us free so that we can be spiritual people. We will look at this idea on the next program. Thanks for joining us. This is Avi Ben Mordechai. We hope that you have discovered some fresh insights into the ancient biblical Jewish and Hebraic ways of understanding and interpreting the Bible's lessons and narratives. Visit our website at www.cominghome.co.il.